There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester with me, Clint Boone. Every week we'll be celebrating the spirit of Manchester by speaking to somebody who's helped shape the city. This week I'm joined by Warehouse Project and Park Life founder, Sasha Lloyd. Sasha's going to tell us about how his art teacher helped him discover the club that would change his life. Yeah, I was 17 when I first went and I loved going to the Hacienda. I mean, it blew me away. And he'll be telling us about the first Warehouse Project nights. The idea was to book four or five of them. I found the space, Boddington's Brewery and Sam went away and he actually got overexcited and booked 24 parties. So we had to sell 100,000 tickets that season and, and luckily it worked because we would have actually lost our houses if it hadn't. gives a great pleasure to welcome to the studio a man whose name has come to prominence in Manchester over the years. Not only as the creator of such iconic music institutions as Sankey Soap, The Warehouse Project and Park Life, but more recently as Manchester's first ever night czar. We'll find out in a moment what night czar is. Uh, but for now, Sasha Lloyd, welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester. How are you doing? I'm good, Clint. How are you? I'm doing great. You're looking well. Seriously? Not very stressed, because I imagine a man in your position, uh, well, not at certain times of the year, part life, there's a lot of stress probably on your shoulders, isn't there? Well, now's the worst, actually. So we're halfway through warehouse project season. 
So every single weekend, work until five, six in the morning, Friday, Saturday nights, back in the office on the Monday. It's like jet lag, so I am pretty, pretty, you know, I'm done in. We'll come to that in a bit, all these amazing things that you've created. First of all, let's uh, talk about where and when it started. Where were you born and when? Withenshaw, 72, 26th of January. Born in the hospital. Amazing hospital, actually. I think it's one of the best hospitals in the country for kids. It's got a good reputation, hasn't it? Very good. And what kind of childhood do you remember? Yeah, my childhood, I was I had a fortunate childhood. Um, my parents pushed me academically, but, you know, I realised in, in as I grew up, obviously you'll remember the Manchester period. Yeah. Um, so that was, I was sort of 16, 17, 15, 16, 17 when all that was going on. And I quickly realised that, you know, that was my passion. That's where I wanted to go. That's what I enjoyed. So I sort of nobbed off school and became a market trader to begin with. It's funny, isn't it? You forget how young the audience were at the Hacienda. I mean, I was in my early 20s probably when it opened, so I was uh, I was getting on a bit, you know what I mean? But the uh, I saw a film the other day of Granada Studios. Tony Wilson put on a big gig in the studios and it was open to the public and it was Happy Mondays playing live. It's on YouTube, this. And it really hits you how young the audience were back then, like proper young teenagers, straight out of school, you know, nippers really, like you. Just Do you know what's an even scary fact? I'm talking to people now, customers that come to Wales Project to Park Life, um, or it might be an interview like now, that, you know, at a, at a college or school, and they're talking to me about where did you start, and they say, you know, the Hacienda. Yeah. They've no idea what the Hacienda was, and that, that is frightening. They're, they're like younger people, yeah? Yeah, wow. yeah, the young kids now have no idea, they need educating. Before, it should be on the curriculum. You know what, I, I went to a school once in Gorton, probably about five or six years ago, and it was um, a primary teacher was teaching her kids about Manchester, the Hacienda, and people like myself and Mike Gary were getting invited in to talk to this classroom That's full cool. of kids. And they're all like, probably, I don't know, nine, ten-year-old. But they knew it all. They knew everything. Yeah. They, knew, they knew Northside were in the Paris Angels as well as all the big fellas, you know what I mean? Do you remember the first music that inspired you then? Would it be the Manchester stuff or did anything come before that? First thing of the Manchester period was actually Fool's Gold. That was the thing that really hooked me. Yeah. That's sort of my A-level theme tune, really. Yeah. Um, and it just exploded. That's, that dragged me into the whole scene. And I've not escaped since. They were the first record you bought them, stuff of that era? No, well, of that era, but I actually know the first record I ever bought, full stop. One. Video Kill Radio Star. Buggles. Yeah, Trevor that was the Ryan. first one. You know, it's quite an I- iconic record, that's obviously your first record, isn't it? And uh, if I remember right, it was the first ever record to get played on MTV, I think. What about, um, what about school? How did you do at school? I went to a posh school. Right. I went to a geeky school, Manchester Grammar. Good school. Very good school. Yeah, one of my children went there. Did they really? Came out of it brilliantly, yeah, Max. Very, very lucky. I, I didn't come out of it brilliantly. Right. So you'll know how everybody <laughs> that goes to Manchester Grammar, in the yearbook, you know, it says Oxford, Cambridge, Oxford, Cambridge, St. Andrew, all the best universities. It was just blank next to my name. I got, <laughs> I got two U's and an E. Brilliant. The E was in arts. It wasn't the best day for my mum and dad, I'll be yeah. honest. But, you know, I didn't really, uh, didn't bother me. Same here. I didn't do that well at school academically. I went to uh, Cardinal Langley Grammar School for boys five years. Or so. I think I came out with two O-levels. So didn't do that well, you know, as I said, uh, results-wise. But we did all right in life subsequently. I'm a happy man, you know what I mean? And you've done all right as well, haven't you? Well, do you know the weird thing? So I sort of um, crawled out of school and um, <laughs> they weren't very proud of me at all. And they, they never recognised me when I was there. There were some amazing teachers, but there were some absolute buggers there as well. Mm. One of the teachers, actually, my art teacher, Mr McGuinness, introduced me to the Hacienda. Um, that, that, I mean, that's a whole other story. But now they've invited me back to come and speak to the kids um, about it's not necessarily all about education. 
And the first time they asked me back, I said I'd do it on one condition, and that was they made me a prefect, because I was gutted I was never a prefect at school. So I, I came on, and they actually gave me a prefect badge, which I was chuffed about. And now I'm on the, like, the, the Hall of Fame, and my face is next to Ben Kingsley. How wow. weird is that? He played that, Gandhi. Amazing. How did he do it? Was he a good student? Ben Kingsley? Yeah. I've no idea. He's a good actor. Yeah, he's, got, he's got an Oscar. So you, you were, were you a bit arty, a bit musical? Not. Um, I always had a passion for music. But I couldn't, I, th- I can't play anything. You know, my voice is amazing in the shower. That's where it stops. But um, art, I loved art. You know, I could really express myself through art. And I was one of these kids who would hang around the art halls at lunchtime and stuff. And it was all with art as well. It gave me an excuse to go to the Whitworth Art Gallery, which really handy. It was, um, you'd walk past the girls' school. So that was also a plus as well. You'd walk past Manchester Eye. So, um, yeah, no, art was where my passion was. And you, you probably weren't very good at sport. Like myself, you're probably not very good at sport at school. Running. I was all right at running. Yeah. Absolutely love football. I'm a big, big red. Right. But I'm I'm not very good at football at all. I was good at badminton. I was all right at badminton. But, but it was a rugby school, so I was just I was looked down upon. Even the teachers looked down on me because I didn't I didn't do rugby or football. Well, or I mean, I've got I've got a story about the football. So I played in the reserves for the for the school. And this one particular Saturday I turned up, my dad dropped me off and it was raining really badly. So the football was cancelled, but the rugby was still on. And there was one rugby player short. So this teacher, I forget his name now, he used to be a referee at Twickenham as well. Wellsby, Mr. Wellsby, he's got to be dead now. He said to me, Lord, you're playing rugby. I was like, oh Christ. And I was scared to death of rugby. You know what it's like, you get the ball and they want to kill you. So um, they made me a position called hooker. And I was right in the middle of the scrum. And the second that ball entered, because I was a footballer, and you know the rivalry between football and rugby, the second the ball entered, not only did the opposition give me a kicking, my own team did as well. So since then, I I hate rugby. Anything to do with it. All right. Well, my last rugby game ever at school, I was probably about 13. And I remember the guy off the opposite team was running past me with the ball and I couldn't quite catch him. So I just tripped him up. (laughs) And I was just, that was it. I was punished, I was banished from playing rugby again, but it did, it did the trick because I didn't like playing rugby anyway. No, it's bad. you got muddy, didn't you? I hated oh, it. Yeah, horrible thing, horrible <laughs> thing. What was your first job, Sasha? First job, I worked in a clothes shop called Flannels in Gooseberry in Altrincham. That's my first Saturday job. Then, um, after a couple of months, it became a full-time job. And whilst I was there, all these, uh, it sold designer clobber, so all these big cars were pulling up and these guys would come in spending, you know, in, in those days spending like 60 quid on a t-shirt and I just thought you know it takes me three days to earn 60 quid I couldn't get my head around it so Mm. it it gave me a bit of a not passion but I wanted to make a bit more money so I started to run a market stall on a Sunday in Liverpool weirdly Stanley Dot Market every Sunday I think it's called Heritage Dot now and I sold leather jackets there and and that my income there was better than it was working Monday through to Saturday at Flannels so I started working on markets And when did you end up or how did you end up putting the events on at the Hacienda? Because you mentioned that the Hacienda influenced you Yeah, early it did. On. So so what happened was um, a friend of mine who was at school, his mum and dad were loaded, and they hired a, a nightclub for him on a Monday night called Yesterday's in Oldley Edge. I don't know if you remember it. No. Um, it's a bit of a posh club, normally closed on a Monday. And anyway, it's before social media, you know, before, any, before the internet, and he invited 50 friends to turn up to the club and actually I think about 350, 400 people turned up so I thought if I could persuade a club that would normally be closed on a Monday to open, give me cheap rent, maybe I could make a bit of a living out of it and I love going to the Hacienda 
So I sort of got to know a few people um, who worked in Hacienda, made a few contacts, and yeah, my first night was 4th of July, 94, Hacienda. You know what's nice, what you just said then, that the that old mindset of there's an empty space and so not doing anything, how can I get people into it? That said, you've done that so many times since, like, to massive effect. So you took on a an old empty soap factory in Ancourts, Manchester. You took on an empty derelict brewery, the Boddington's Brewery, an old Victoria warehouse in uh, Old Trafford that nobody's doing anything with. Massive empty space underneath Piccadilly Station, Store Street. And it's that same ethos, isn't it, that you've had, you've carried for all those years about empty space. So how can I get some people into it? You've done brilliant work, man. Do you know what? It, I mean, it's not just me. There's there's three of this is myself, and I've got two business partners, Sam and Rich, as well. But yeah, we've always taken something and tried to make something out of it. Mm. Um, like Boddington's, I think you played the opening weekend at Boddington's. Yeah, I did. Didn't yeah, you? I DJ'd. Yeah, I ended up stage diving, and then everybody moved, and it was quite high stage, wasn't it? I, you fell in the pit, didn't you? It was ten foot onto a solid concrete floor. I remember that because this was an old brewery, and everybody moved, and I landed on my back. That's right. Yeah. And uh, I think it was was it New Year's Eve or something like that. Yeah, I think it was. Do you know what? I still check the post, expecting you to sue me. Yeah, no, I'm not going to sue you, but um, I played it down for a couple of days. I told my wife, I just I don't know why I'm feeling so bad. But I can't breathe proper, and my heart beats irregular and all that. Anyway, then eventually, my brother-in-law, who was at the warehouse project that night, Ben. He came up to our house for a boo a couple of days after he said, you the other night, man, when you stage dived and everybody moved, you really hurt yourself, didn't you? I had to go to the dressing room have a little cry, Sasha, I'll tell you. I'm, I'm not <laughs> suggesting you did for one moment, but I think you'd had a few glasses of sherry that night. I do. It's the boon, isn't it? <laughs> what I do. Let's, let's go back to the Hacienda, because uh, when I, I started going the week, it opened pretty much, and it was like a ghost town for a, well, like a night, nightclub equivalent of a ghost town for the first couple of years. But by the time you started going, it was probably banging, wasn't it? What were your first memories of being at the Hacienda? So actually, my very first memories, and this is showing my age now, is my dad used to give me um, a lift into school. And sometimes, I don't know why, we'd, we'd go into town to get a bit of a breakfast before school. Always, it was always an, an early starter. And I remember the Hacienda when it was a showroom for boats. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how mental is that? Why would you have a showroom for boats in the centre of Manchester? And it actually had a like a, a pool in it, didn't it? A really deep... That's right. I don't know what to call it, like a dock, an indoor water dock, so they could put the boat on it. So if you're buying the boat... You could actually get on it and feel it bobbing. That, yeah, I mean, that, that is mad. So they, that's my first memory. I don't remember the Hacienda ever being, um, you know, I, I know the early years were dead. I don't remember that mm. because I was too young to go. So I think the first time I went was in 89. It's worth pointing out, Sasha was 10 when the Hacienda opened. Is that true? Yeah, is 82, that a so okay. you're born in 72. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I was 17 when I first went. Right. And, I mean, it blew me away. I was kind of naive because I didn't realise, you know, that there were fractions in there and stuff like that. And so I think because of that, I just had the most amazing night. And the, the first time I tried to get in, actually, it was me and my mate, Peter Armistead, who's now a vicar, weirdly. Uh, we got turned away because we'd heard from the bigger kids, you know, the Hacienda is the place. Yeah. So we both borrowed our dad's suit, shirts and ties, got to the front door and the head doorman, a guy called Damon Noon, and uh, turned us away and said, listen, lads, not tonight. We didn't get it until we saw people leaving in like the T-shirts and the flared jeans. We went back the following week and we got in. And it was just, it was it was only six months later that we both realised we were the only people not on ecstasy. We didn't even know what it was. But the atmosphere with 2,000 people under that one roof and they were all worshipping the DJ because up until that point, I'd been going to clubs like DeVille's where they play more of the, the indie tracks 
and the track would be introduced by the DJ uh, or after the, the track would be explained what it was. And that didn't happen. Mm. So, you know, it was just a continuous journey and we'd never seen or experienced that before. It was fantastic. Yeah, so and all these years later, obviously, it sounds like you've still got a, a special place in your heart for the Hacienda. Very much so. Very much so. What about Paradise Factory? How did you end up there? Because that's another incredible um, story in terms of a, a venue that, to this day, I still think that place changed the shape of this city. People don't talk enough about Paradise Factory. So the Hacienda was absolutely incredible. Everybody references it, even to this day. Perhaps maybe they reference it a, a bit too much because, you know, I think we need to be looking to the future, not so much to the past. Mm-hmm. But you have to acknowledge it. But once I became a, a regular at the Hacienda, I started to hear that actually the place where the music that was ahead of its time was taking place in a gay club in Manchester called the Paradise Factory that was owned by um, a friend of mine now, a guy called Peter Dalton and Carol Ainsgo. It was extremely hard to get in there. I mean, you couldn't do that this now, but, you know, to get in, you had to prove you're gay on the door. So if it was two guys, you had to give each other a peck on the cheeks or if it's two girls, peck on, you know, on, on the lips, whatever. So me and my mate went down there and, yeah, we had to give each other a peck on the cheeks just to go and see what was going on behind the doors. And, and that was... That was a different level altogether. I don't know if you remember the DJ Tony DeVitt. You know, he was DJing in there. Um, and what we saw in there was very special. Probably, I never saw it with my own eyes because it's well before my time, but it, I think it was probably the closest thing I'll ever see to Studio 54 that first night when I walked in there. Mm. Um, because everybody was just cracking on. didn't matter whether you were straight, gay, black, white. You know, everybody was just there for a massive party. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd never seen drag queens before, never seen transvestites before. You know, it was just, everything was going on. It was it was a, almost a carnival. It was superb. It was a brand new one. It was like, it was just seen as a, like a somewhat sleazier alternative to what was going on in the mainstream bars and clubs Correct. in the city. Nobody had done anything like it. For those who don't know, uh, it's now Fact 251. So before Paradise Factory, it was the Factory Records offices. Correct. Then it became Paradise Factory. And now it's a club again. What they did... Paradise Factory and the creators and yourself when you got involved, you really paved the way for the, the next chapter of what was going to happen in Manchester's particularly it's like gay culture because now we're just we're on the map, aren't we, in terms of that. You know, the, the Gay Pride Festival, the big weekend that they do now, these are events that are, in terms of European gay culture, these are the places to come to, aren't they? And they that- are, and I think it's... We have to be proud about that. You know, you, you look at... Um, Paradise Factory in those days and the bar Manto and, you know, the village that we know now was practically derelict and, you know, men were scared to go down there um, yeah. and, and come out as gay almost. And, and now, I mean, it's it's world-renowned. Yeah. Everybody knows Canal Street. Everybody knows the village. So many bars have come and go over the years. You know, it's, it's a thriving environment. We had an office in Sparrow Carpets, had an office on Sackville Street. Did you really? Yeah, and it was the only reason being it was the cheapest rent in town. <laughs> and it was um it was on the first or second floor. Central station design, Matt and Pat Carroll had the yeah. unit above us and their little lad, was he called Ben, was pedalling around on a bike all day, you could hear them rattling up and down the floorboards. <laughs> but you'd literally to get into the office we'd be passing like prostitutes and rent boys on the yeah. on, on the, the steps outside and yeah. we knew them all and they knew us, you know what I mean? You just thought we just Weird bunch of lads, what you're doing up there? You're not like dressed <laughs> like that. We're in a band, we're in a band. But yeah, it was uh, back then. That was um, it was the last part of town that you'd go for a drink, wasn't it? Really. Yeah. But now it's uh, it's a beautiful place, isn't it? The village. Do you know where it's impressing me now? And it's so weird. So when I had Sankey's uh, Sankey Soap 2000 to 2006, 
And Coates was a no-go zone. It was a no-go environment. I yeah. mean, there was no street lighting. You didn't feel safe walking down there. Um, taxis wouldn't drop customers off there sometimes. Before we reopened the club, there were syringes on the floor, uh, and it was a nasty, horrible, grimy place. Yeah. Now, I think it has the best restaurants in Manchester. Uh, so I went to three weeks ago called Manor. It's in- unbelievable. So many cool independent bars, restaurants. It was a natural progression from the northern quarter that had to explode and expand. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's amazing. If I'm to predict now with my crystal ball out, I think the same thing is going to spill out into Salford. I think that's the next up and coming area. You know, from work I'm doing with, with the mayor's office, you know, I've had a really good, productive, progressive conversation with the leader of Salford. And he's got some amazing ideas. So I was about to thank his salt. That was a, an interesting venue because uh, for years it just been empty. I assume it's built in the eighteen hundreds originally as a salt factory, but it still had the uh, the logo Sankey Salt painted way up high on the roof, and so you could see it from everywhere in the city centre. And eventually it became a nightclub. Uh, tell us about your involvement in that, Sasha Sankey's. Uh, Sankey Soap originally opened ninety four ninety eight, which was at the absolute pinnacle of um, what was known as Gunchester. Very bad violence. Um, and because of the situation, they had a few incidents. Uh, the club closed in 98. It wasn't doing the numbers, but it also had some hairy moments down there as well. Let's, let's just say that. So it was closed for two years. And then me and a guy called David Vincent decided to reopen it. And we had it between 2000 and 2006. And that led into the uh, the warehouse project years, I assume. Yeah. So during the period of Sankey's, we, had, uh, we put on two very, very special parties i managed to convince manchester city council who have always been really supportive managed to convince them to give me the first legal the first license for a legal warehouse party since that just said right enough's enough let's close them all down and we did this on Polhard street which is now a block of apartments weirdly it's, we used a space where they filmed 24-hour party people that's what gave me the idea okay we had twelve thousand people there it was amazing we, we drove the sound system in on trucks the bars were very temporary we didn't have a clue what was going on um, but that sort of gave myself and Sam the idea for the warehouse project. And I was bored of Sankey's 2000, 2006, same four walls, week in, week out. And I could see developments happening around the area as well. So I thought time was, was you know, it was ready to call time on it. So I announced I was leaving and Sam said, well, if you're I'll come well with you as well. Let's do some warehouse parties. So the idea was to book four or five of them. I found the space, Bonington's Brewery. And Sam went away and he actually got overexcited and booked 24 parties. So we had to sell 100,000 tickets that season. And, and luckily it worked because we would have actually lost our houses if it hadn't. Everybody yeah. thought we were off our rockers. And actually looking back at it now, we were. I wouldn't have done it again. So the idea was always with the Warehouse Project to find, it's a fluid thing, wasn't it? The venue's going to change. Constantly changing. Quite often, yeah. This, this is our last season ever at Store Street. And let's talk about Part Life because that, that, I remember the first Part Life, which again I went to, I don't have a DJ in that, but I did go down to it. And it was on uh, Platfield, so it was right there, Correct. right next to the main road, so right in the middle of the student accommodation yep. district, which is a dream location for some people, mainly students. Uh, but to others, like motorists and residents, it was like a bit of a tricky one, wasn't it? And I remember thinking, like a lot of other people, does this bloke know what he's doing here to create something <laughs> so, so massive right next to the main road and et cetera, et cetera. But it, it worked, didn't it? It did. So the first year was 2010. Um, and actually Park Life was just one day, 20,000 people. And... To make it stack up, we put a concert on the night before using the main stage, which is Ian Brown. So I think Ian did 12,000 tickets and part life sold out, actually. Right. And then the following year, we expanded it to two days, 25,000. It outgrew 
um, Platfields. Obviously, now it's at Heaton Park, and it's 80,000 people a day. And it's actually the UK's biggest metropolitan festival, which I'm wow. really proud about. Tavity in Manchester is amazing. It's an incredible creation, that, isn't it? And it's, it, it's ongoing. It's staying there. There's no big issues. I know you have like little cups for the council or residents occasionally, but you, no, you're good we, at dealing with them. You're good at dealing with them, aren't you? We had to win. So it was hard first year because the residents were very used to... They'd had Oasis the year before. The year before that, they'd had the Stone Roses. You know, the crowd aren't necessarily that compliant compared to the crowd that we get at um, Part Life. I know some of the bars had to be shut down and stuff, but we put the infrastructure in and we work really close with the residents now. We've won them all around, yeah. bar one. Right. <laughs> who, who I'm pretty sure he wants to assassinate me. <laughs> and is it a stressful time of the year? I mentioned earlier about the, the amount of stress you must get at some of these things in your diary, but how stressful is Part Life or does it sort of run itself these days? No, so... Actually, the best thing about Part Life is when you announce the lineup, you announce the creatives, you always announce with an animation or something that, that the, the office has been working on for weeks and weeks. That's the exciting bit. And then watching ticket sales. The event itself, for me, is an absolute ball ache. You know, right. there's 80,000 people in there that could do anything at any one moment. So the infrastructure, you won't believe it, Clint, if you, if you came behind the scenes and you're welcome to come this year, we've got literally a hospital on site. My policing bill is phenomenal. There's over a thousand security. I don't know how many sniffer dogs. It's just relentless yeah. the amount of planning that you have to put into these things. Which is essential, isn't it, in this yeah. day and age? Yeah, it is essential. And, you know, we can't put cotton wool around every single person. So we act, we ask everybody to act responsibly. You know, it's a party at the end of the day yeah. and, and kids party, but you can't hold the hands the whole time. So we do everything we can to protect them. Give us a list of some of the names you've worked with over the years, artists, like not just at Part Life, but the Warehouse Project. You've had some massive names in there. Okay. Clint Boone. Yes, come on. <laughs> Boone Army. He's good at him, isn't he? <laughs> I think, so I, th I think, and I might be wrong, but I think the night you played, I was asked by someone who's a good friend of mine now, who used, I think he DJed that first night I went to Hacienda, a guy called Mike Pickering, who's a lovely, lovely fellow. Apart from he's a blue. Yeah. Um, he asked me, he was working at Sony and he asked me and Sam to book an artist for New Year's Eve. And this is like, it's been on sale already. It was sold out. I'm like, Mike, there's no room. Yeah. Like, please, please put him on. Like, oh. So doors opened at half nine. We put this fella on at nine o'clock and he thought just no one had turned up yet. We weren't even open. So he did an hour set. So he actually only played for half an hour whilst they're open. Mm. We gave him 200 quid. And we also promised him train fare, but he gave me a first-class ticket. So we argued over the first-class ticket because I never stipulated first-class. We <laughs> argued and I ended up paying standard. And yet it was Calvin Harris. Yeah, I met So him. that was £200 for Calvin Harris, who now charges £1.2 Well, that story I told you before about the when I was at the uh, Warehouse Project and I dived in and hurt myself, he actually saw me do it because Calvin was in the on the DJ stage at that point with me, DJ booth, if you like. And it's called Adam, wasn't it? So he'd be introducing himself as Adam and... Uh, he said, Calvin's me at stage now. But basically, when it, just before I went and left the stage, my last thing I said to him was, yeah, Calvin, watch and learn. And I dived in and he saw me do it. And I've not seen him since, but I'm sure, I bet if I, if I do see him, I bet he'll remember that moment. Probably. Watching this jumped-up yeah. DJ from Mantis make a pillock of himself. Now, of I, I was looking back, rather than saying who, who are the biggest acts and who are the best acts, you know, I like looking at the acts that played before they were big. So David Getter at Sankey's, we used to give him 400 quid. Um, Florence and the Machine, we gave her 500 quid. I remember thinking, who's that mentalist that's rehearsing at the back of Store Street? 
She was wearing like a white ready wedding dress before we opened, doing all that la 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 la. I thought it was really bizarre. Um, so yeah, it's, it's great to see. When you look back on those uh, like twenty five years or more, that and you see how far things have come in Manchester in terms of the nightlife and the club culture and the impact of Warehouse Project and Park Life and Sankey, you must be feel you must feel quite proud of what you and your people like you have achieved. Yeah, I am proud. It's sometimes because we're in the bubble, so we don't see it. But then there's really weird moments. Actually, one happened last year. I was on a holiday. I'd gone to a bit of a posh holiday in uh, January for some sunshine. And I was wearing a Warehouse Project T-shirt, as you do, around the pool. And one of the waiters, you know, we're talking about this place was 11 hours away. One of the waiters, who was a local, starts to talk about, oh, Warehouse Project. I'm like, yeah. I thought he just read the T-shirt. And then he managed to rattle off a load of the artists that played there. Just thinking, this guy lives on the other side of the world and he knows about this little thing we're doing in the centre of town. That is mental. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think we fully appreciate it. I don't think we will until Sam and I are sat in an old people's home smiling away, thinking back about, you know, actually, what did we do? Yeah, I know exactly that feeling. Uh, tell <laughs> us about the... Uh, well, we've been doing this thing recently, haven't we? With, um, Graham Park is uh, putting together a, a documentary about people like us getting old and carrying on and doing what we're doing. Yeah. It's called Embrace the New. But basically, there's a bit where Ucky in the trailer is saying about we should be looking at starting off Hacienda Care Homes for people like us. So that, I can totally relate to it. We'll all do, you know the, do you know the funny thing? New Order would probably finance it yeah, as well. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, lose loads of money on it. Uh, let's talk about this Night Czar gig that you've got. So recently it was uh, announced that you've been appointed the first ever Night Czar or Nighttime Advisor for the City of Manchester. How That's did that it. come about? So it came about because um, some great cities in the world have got somebody who represents the nighttime economy. New York, Berlin, Amsterdam, Paris... I was going to say London, but I'm talking about great cities. And then um, <laughs> it was that little dig. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, do you like that? It's like before when you mentioned your mate who'd become a vicar and you laughed about that as well. Now we're on with vicars. There's the nothing fo- wrong. Vicars are lovely guys. <laughs> and Cockneys are all right. Yeah. So um, the vicars are probably the first and last people we're going to see. It's true, that, isn't it? Not literally see. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, during the, the mayor elections, I was very keen that nighttime economy would, would be recognised. Because many times we go out, you know, you and I will go for a meal with our family or go to the cinema or go to a, a nightclub like South. And, you know, that's our bit of fun at the week. That's when we let our hair down. Mm. So because of that, it's not actually recognised sometimes as being very important. But actually, it's the fifth biggest economy in the whole of the UK, the nighttime economy. Nighttime economy employs more than 10% of the whole of the UK workforce. So I was very keen to speak to the people who are standing as, as candidate for the mayor. Um, and make sure they do acknowledge it. And, you know, one one of the people I spoke to was obviously Andy Burnham. And we're really, really lucky to have Andy because, as you know yourself, he's extremely passionate about, about music, especially bands. Yeah. Not long after, Andy called a meeting. We just had a few conversations going. He was asking my opinion on things, asking him opinion on things. And then the call happened and the role was announced on the 6th of June this year. Um, and I have to say, it's been a busy period, but actually... So far, things that I've gone to him, and I've got great support in his office, a guy called Gareth Williams. He's the one that writes things. I say them. Right, so yeah. he's the brains. He just makes me look good. So, yes, yeah, suggestions so far. Andy's been right behind them. And do you still feel there's a lot of work to do in terms of making that nighttime experience uh, for Manchester people safer, 
more enjoyable, more exciting. I do. So it's not just, you know, when we talk about Manchester, it's not just the city centre, it's Greater Manchester. And there's some fantastic success stories. You know, I, I, I spoke at the beginning about being brought up in Olchingham. Olchingham was killed off by the Trafford Centre. It was boarded up. There was no nighttime economy there. And then Olchingham Market appeared. And then around the market now, there's loads of independent bars and, and restaurants and really fantastic offerings. So, you know, I, w- I would like to use all, almost Olchingham as a blueprint and see that created across the whole of Greater Manchester. But in terms of safety, you know, you talk about before when I started off and the whole Manchester period and the Gunchester period, and you all know yourself, it, the streets weren't safe. Mm. Um, certainly from where we were then to where we are now, it's a lot, lot safer. But, yeah. you know, the, there are things we have to do to work on it still and improve it, and we've got some great ideas coming out. Let's talk about the uh, the spirit of Manchester, the spirit of Manchester people. Do you recognise that as being something, um, well, we know it's beautiful. Is it? Is it unique? I think it's recognised as being unique, not just by people from Manchester. I think it's recognised by the country that something, you know, about the people from Greater Manchester is really, you know, it's, it's special. And I've referenced it quite a few times, actually, only because we can't forget it. But I think when you saw the spirit that came out of the tragedy last year on the 22nd of May, it brought the whole city together and it did not matter who you were, what you were or anything. You know, mm. the people congregating around St. Anne's Square and the, the, the people that made things happen from that uh, really shows what's different about this city. And, mm. you know, I can't knock other cities, but I'll always wave the flag for the city. Yeah. I'm lucky enough, Clint, I, I can, you know, I've done all right for myself. I can live anywhere I want to live. I'm not ever leaving this city. It's the best city in the world as far as concerned. And I've been to New York. I've been to Berlin, I've been to, uh, you know, well, London. But, you know, I, I could live there for one two, but I'm not leaving here, it's the best. What about the weather? The weather's great. There's nothing wrong with the Keeps weather. Keeps your feet on the ground, doesn't it? Of course it does. Keeps your head in the right place. And what are your favourite places in Manchester for, for, like, restaurants, hanging out, walking your dog? Have you got a dog? I've got a small dog called... What kind of dog is it? It's a uh, miniature dash hound. Right. That annoyingly, my girlfriend, um, who's now fiancé, by the way, um, nice. She has opened an Instagram account for him. Right, what's he called? I think he's called Pickle underscore Mini. Oh, okay. He's called Pickle anyway. Right. He's <laughs> got four and a half thousand followers. So I've got to be careful. What's it? She's taking pictures in the house. And I could be there in my boxes in the background in or background, something. Yeah. yeah, so I need to edit stuff that's going out. You've got to be careful anyway, the, that kind of stuff. We've got dogs. Dogs are massive now, aren't they? I oh, don't mean they're massive. I mean, they're all they're quite small, actually, generally. Aren't they? Yeah. Dogs, but... They're amazing, though. Yeah. You know, I can come home after a really stressful day. Yeah. And he'll hear the car in the drive and he's at the back door going absolutely nuts, wagging his tail. And it doesn't matter what sort of day he's had, you know, for it, just for those five minutes, he's all over me. Yeah. And I, I love it first thing in the morning. Not this morning. He got me up an hour early. But, you know, <laughs> on, on normal occasions, it's great. Just great. Where do you walk your dog? Where do I walk the dog? Yeah. So I'm lucky enough to live um, down a country lane. This is a weird story for you. So there's only five hou- um, six houses on the lane. And I walk the dog there, it's really, really private. So bearing in mind, I left school with no A-levels and things like that. My education was great, but I didn't go to university. So when I had no career, I've always been really into Manchester music, especially the Smiths. They were probably my favourite. Sorry, Clint, but they, right. they but Spirals were second, but Smiths, you know, they they were up there. Funny thing is, while you've been talking to me in that room behind you, uh, I see Mike Joyce working away. He's gone now, but oh, you, just, you missed the Smith. Oh, Smith bloody hell. He was putting well, faces out through the window. And I, I ignored him. Massive Smiths fan. Yeah. And also a red, die and die hard red 
So yeah, my neighbours now are Johnny Marr and Paul Pogba. Wow. How mental is that? It's a beautiful street, that as well. <laughs> That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. But they're probably saying to each other, you never guess it, our neighbour is that road. <laughs> uh, it's Sasha Lord, that from Park Life. Get some free tickets. <laughs> <laughs> so do you know you know Johnny, obviously? Amazing guy. Yeah, what lad, a lovely, lovely guy. When he first moved onto the street, I was quite nervous because obviously a Smiths fan. And I'd always idolised him. Mm. And I was walking the dog one day. He's so down to earth. He's just so dead normal. Uh, and, and now, you know, we'll, we'll be having a conversation and, and he loves talking. You know, we're still there for half an hour yeah. having a really normal conversation about football or, or you know, something, something weird. And then it'll just flicker in my mind. That's Johnny Marr. And then I start having a bit of an anxiety attack again, and then I get back to normal. Yeah. But yeah, lovely guy. He's got gorgeous dogs as well, hasn't he? Really nice dogs. Yeah. yeah. Rhodesian Ridgebacks. Ridgebacks, Buzz and... I Riff. That's Buzz, it, Riff. Buzz yeah. and Riff. Yeah. yeah. I know him well. Right, Sasha, listen, two final things I want to ask you. One is, first of all, who are your favourite humans of Manchester, past or present? So I think you need to mention... Um, well, he was an amazing guy... And everybody references him because of, I think, he was the the face on TV. Uh, I'm referring to Tony Wilson and the Hacienda, but I think you have to reference Rob Gretton, who quite often he sort of gets, not neglected, but forgotten about. Everyone talks about Hacienda, Tony Wilson. Rob Gretton actually steered that place. So I think that would be number one. Number two, someone who I really admire, Manchester Connection. They don't have to be from Manchester. No. Nope. Got to be the king. Eric Cantona. I like that. He's got to be up there. Third one. Do you know what? People don't know him, but I, I spoke around him before. Probably my old art teacher, Mr McGuinness, that took me to the Hacienda. I'll have to mention him. Because I think without that happening, I'd still be doing market stores now. One more thing, Sasha. Describe Manchester in three words. Three words. Down to earth. Nice. Sasha Lloyd, thank you for being a human of excess Manchester. Thank you, Clint. That was Sasha Lloyd. Make sure you join me next week where I'll be speaking to star of stage and screen, Julie Hesmondalsh. Don't forget to follow us on social media as well. We are at Humans Excess and subscribe to Humans of Excess Manchester. Rate us as well. Feel free to leave us a comment. We love hearing your feedback. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.